Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a series of programs on the Sermon on the Mount, and today's program is a continuation of the previous broadcast. Now, this program is the fourth program in this series, and in the second program, I gave a brief summary of Pharisaical Judaism. I also referred you to the program that I did titled, Do Not Do According to Their Takanot, which is a history of Pharisaical Judaism. And in today's program, I'm going to expand on the philosophy of Pharisaical Judaism. Now, the most important thing to understand about the philosophy of Pharisaical Judaism is that they decided to add laws to the existing law of Moses. These laws would be the laws that you would follow so that you would ensure that you would never come within the boundaries of possibly violating any of the laws of Moses. For example, with the law concerning leprosy. You would never want to come in contact with a person who had leprosy because you would become ritually unclean. And so they established a law that said that you could never come within four cubits or a hundred cubits of the leper. And as long as you don't violate that law, then you will never get close enough to actually touch the individual who has leprosy and violate the law of Moses. There were many laws concerning the Sabbath law. For example, you would never walk on the grass on the Sabbath day. Now, again, if you were to ask a Pharisee, well, what's wrong with walking on the grass on the Sabbath day? They would say there's absolutely nothing wrong with walking on the grass on the Sabbath day. But there's great risk in walking on the grass on the Sabbath day because there might be a stalk of wheat or a stalk of grain that's growing in that grass. And if there is, then your foot might knock that grain off of the stalk that it's growing on. And if you do that, then you will be guilty of harvesting grain on the Sabbath day. Things like that. And so it's important to understand that the law says, according to Pharisaical Judaism, that you are to never walk on the grass. But that's not what Moses said. He said, don't work on the Sabbath day. Those are two completely different laws. And so when Jesus came to teach the people, he told them that they needed to put aside all of these laws that the Pharisees had established and just live according to the laws of Moses. Now, the reason why he did that, of course, was because the Pharisees believed that they had found a way to achieve success that they had found a way to live so that they would never violate the laws of Moses, but of course, they were not successful like they thought they were. And that's one of the reasons why Jesus had so many negative things to say about them, was to explain that they were not as successful as they thought they were, as they believed that they were, so that perhaps they would recognize not that they needed to go back to the Mosaic law to achieve success, but to realize that they really did need the mercy of God. Only then can a person be prepared enough so that they can be the recipients of the new covenant when it goes into effect. And of course, it went into effect when Jesus died and rose from the dead. So what Jesus did 
was he expanded on the laws that the Pharisees had come up with because they were not enough. They did not give people everything that they needed in order to achieve success. Now, from the Pharisaical point of view, they did expect the Messiah to accomplish this. But they expected him to give the additional laws so that they could fill in the holes or patch the garment that they were trying to create. They believed that there were some things about their lifestyle that were not perfect. They believed that, but they expected the Messiah to make it perfect. So when he came and he presented these additional laws to the scribes and the Pharisees, it could have meant that he was providing them with everything else that they needed to know so that they could finally achieve success. But from the people's point of view, he would be saying something different. He would be saying, oh, no, listen, I'm going to really add to this in order to show you that you can never achieve success. I'm going to give you more so that you will eventually give up. So depending on who was listening to him, they would have heard him say something different. And so I really wanted to to mention that before I proceed. But from the general perspective and from the intent of Jesus speaking to these people, I feel very confident in saying that his primary purpose was not to speak to the scribes and the Pharisees. His primary purpose was to speak to the people and show them that they would never enter the kingdom of heaven, which is why he says in verse 20, this is Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. You will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, the philosophy of the Pharisees was to add to the Mosaic law, so he is going to use that same paradigm of thought, that same religious model, that same teaching model, in order to add to the laws of the scribes and the Pharisees. And that's how he begins in verse 21. In verse 21 he says, You have heard that the ancients were told, You shall not commit murder. And whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, or a better translation would be empty head. Some translations use the word raka, uh, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says you fool shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. So what do people do with this now? They look at this and they say, now, whatever you do, don't call somebody a fool, because if you do, then you might be at risk of going to hell. And so let's figure out how we can ensure to remove this word from our vocabulary so that we never violate this. We will achieve success. That is not why Jesus said this. He said this to show you that you can never achieve success because whether you say it this way or you say it another way, it's the condition of your heart that matters. And if you have this attitude, if you have this attitude towards another individual, then you are guilty. He did not say this to give us a standard to live by. He said this to show us that there is no standard that we can ever come up with that will ever be adequate to keep us from going to hell. He is using the Pharisaical model to take the liberty to add to the Pharisaical belief system. Continuing in verse 23, Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go, 
First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and present your offering. In other words, if you are going to go before the Lord and present something to Him, or expect something from Him, then if you're going to do that, then make sure that you are reconciled with everyone who may have something against you. So go out there and find everyone who you know, and you know that there are plenty of people who just don't like you for whatever reason because you did something that they didn't approve of or you said something that they didn't approve of. Go there and be reconciled to them first and then you can go back. Now what happens then is that your ability to have a relationship with God then depends on them. They are the ones who are going to decide if you get to have a relationship with your God or not. They are now the ones who are in control of your life because if they decide that they don't want to be reconciled with you, well, then you're in big trouble, aren't you? You have failed. You have not found a way to make things right. It is all on you, but they are the ones who get to decide if you are going to be able to present your offering before God or not. This puts people in a situation of hopelessness, of absolute hopelessness, because no one is ever going to be reconciled to everyone. It's never going to happen, and it's important for it to never happen. Otherwise, a person can find a way to fulfill this requirement, and if they do, then they are never going to reach the point of recognizing that they have a need for the mercy of God. And so Jesus continues. He continues, and he says in verse 25, Make friends quickly with your opponent at law while you are with him on the way, so that your opponent may not hand you over to the judge and the judge to the officer, and you be thrown into prison. Truly, I say to you, you will not come out of there until you have paid up the last cent. But of course, how are you going to pay that if you're in prison? You can't work for it. You can't earn it. You're not going to be able to get it, and so you're never going to leave. It is a statement of hopelessness. In verse 27, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So how are you doing with that one? Have you succeeded in never, ever looking at someone, whether it is a man looking at a woman or a woman looking at a man, The same can be applied to both. There's no reason to be sexist here, right? We can look at this and we can say that there is absolutely no hope for an individual because there is the possibility at one point in your life this might happen to you. And if it does, you have committed adultery. And the purpose for Jesus saying this was to lead you to the point of failure, to show you that you will fail. But the philosophy of the Pharisees was that we need to establish a law to make sure that you never come within the boundaries of that. Now, what they were teaching was that you should never look at a woman, never speak to a woman. That way you would never lust after her. So if you were confronted with a situation where you were speaking with a woman or looking at a woman, which would generally be within someone's household in a private setting, then you look directly into her eyes or you look right above her head. There were ways that they accomplished that. But he says in general that if you ever have the thought in your mind, that goes beyond what the Pharisees were teaching. He says, let's make this law the law. If we make this law the law, 
then you will never come within the boundaries of possibly violating the law. If you don't lust first, then you won't actually commit adultery. So we will call this adultery so that you will have the understanding and the incentive to live in obedience. And so this is not given so that women can accuse their husbands of committing adultery because they lust in their heart. That is not why Jesus said this. He said this to show you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will in no way enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, I'm not saying that to justify people lusting after each other. I'm not saying that. I'm only wanting to explain to you what this really says and what he was intending to say so that perhaps we won't use it for a purpose that he never intended it to be used for. Continuing into verse 29, If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Now, if you look at verse 29 again, he does say, if your right eye makes you stumble. So I suppose you can keep your left, right? Is is that what it means? Your left eye would never cause you to stumble. Or if it does, don't worry. He just said you're right. That's what I mean, is that people look at this and they really believe that this is what you're supposed to do. Pluck your eye out, cut your hand off. Or, Or do they really? I mean, haven't you ever heard somebody say, we are to live according to the words of Jesus? Oh, is that right? Is that right? Do you really believe that? I don't think you believe that. What are you doing with your right eye? He said you could keep your left, I suppose. But what are you doing with your eye, your right eye? What are you doing with your hands? Aren't you at risk of committing sin? Or perhaps maybe you lusted after somebody with your right eye once, haven't you? And you haven't taken it out. Take your eyes out. Take your hands off. Start cutting some of the parts of your body off because they are causing you to sin. But you're not going to do that because you don't really believe in Jesus, do you? You don't really believe in the words of Jesus. Now, I'm not saying this to encourage you to do these things. I'm just trying to make the point that when people say that we are to follow the words of Jesus, I don't know who they intend to say that to or who they think should believe them because they obviously do not do it themselves. They do not intend to do it themselves. And they know that they will never do it themselves. And so what business do they have in telling other people that they should be doing it? Or if they think they should be doing it, what business do they have in telling people making the announcement that they're going to really try? That should be an embarrassment. They should be embarrassed to say such a thing as we are to live according to the words of Jesus because they don't do it. And here's a great example, verse 29 and 30. Cut your hands off and I'll, I'll consider that maybe you would like to live according to the words of Jesus. That's as far as it's going to go. But he doesn't say it to get people to pluck their eyes out and cut their hands off. That's not why he says this. He says this to show people that if we're really going to do it, if we're really going to be sincere, if we are really going to be devoted, then obey this law. That yes, your eye might cause you to covet, but don't worry, before it does, take your eye out. That's the law. We'll make that the law so that you never violate the law of coveting that he gave in the commandments. You know, that's one of the big ten. Do not covet, right? And so that's what he is saying, is that if you are going to live in obedience to the law, well, let's try this one and see how well you do. Continuing in verse 31, he says, It was said, Whoever sends his wife away, let him give her a certificate of divorce. 
But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except for the reason of unchastity in this translation, is actually the word adultery from what I understand, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now, I have trouble with this verse in this translation because the penalty for adultery is not divorce, it's death. It's not an excuse for divorce. You know, sometimes people are looking for an excuse to divorce their spouse, and so they look into this verse and say, well, adultery might be the case. And if I can't find any evidence that they did actually commit adultery, I'll look for evidence to see if they have thought about it, if they have lusted in some way. And in that way, I'll have the justification to divorce my spouse. I don't think that that's what he was intending to say. I just wanted to point out that the penalty for adultery is not divorce, it is execution. And so because of that, I have had some trouble with this verse, but I did eventually find an answer to this, and I will explain this probably in the next program. I'll go ahead and talk about it in the next program. But for now, in this program, I will make the assumption that this translation is correct. I personally believe that it is not correct, and again, I will explain that later. But for now, if I make the assumption that it is, I want you to see that his intent would be to say that this is a greater opportunity for you to fail. Because not only did somebody commit adultery, but now you are going to cause more adultery to occur. So in order to avoid causing more adultery to occur, you should not do that. If that was what he was intending to say, then that would be a reasonable conclusion that would be consistent with everything else that he says in this chapter. So I'll proceed into verse 33, where he says, Again, you have heard that the ancients were told, You shall not make false vows, but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is the footstool of his feet, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you make an oath by your head, For you cannot make one hair white or black, but let your statement be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything beyond these is of evil. Now, what most people do is they focus on verse 37, and then they say, okay, whatever we do, never make an oath. Always say, I affirm, or yes, or no. Never declare that you are making an oath under any circumstances for any reason. That's what people say. And there are people who then incorporate this law into their lives, this law that they have created or that they assume Jesus is creating, in order to ensure that they never come within the boundaries of making a false oath, in which case they would then be violating the law of Moses. And so we create a law in order to ensure that we never violate the actual law of Moses. That's the philosophy that we would follow through with if we are living according to the Pharisaical model, but we are not. Jesus would be saying this, if that's what he was intending to say, in order to expand on the Pharisaical model and say that you need to follow this additional law. Here's another one for you. Live this way and this way and this way and this way and so that you will never come within the boundaries of violating any of the laws of the Pharisees, in which case you will never come within the boundaries of violating any of the laws of Moses and so you will be holy, you will be righteous, you will be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect and so you will be in the kingdom of heaven. 
Now, I believe that he was saying something different, and I will explain this in the next program or the one following as well. The reason why I'm concerned about this is only because he says you are to never make an oath. And according to the law, you are required to make oaths, and you are required to make oaths in his name if you do make an oath. The law says you are to make oaths. And so I would be concerned about this because this is a possible violation of the Mosaic law in this translation. So I'm just going to explain this right now from the translation's point of view, and then I will deal with this issue a little bit later in another program. But if I make the assumption that this is the accurate statement, then I would say that his intent is to expand on Pharisaical Judaism. So continuing in verse 38, he says, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks of you and do not Turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So in Matthew chapter 5, in the last verse, Verse 48, at the end of this train of thought that Jesus presents, he starts out effectively in verse 20 to say that your righteousness must exceed or surpass that of the scribes and the Pharisees. And then he tells you in verse 48 how far it must surpass their righteousness. How far do you go? How far do you go with this? You see, he just keeps adding and adding. Love your enemies. Turn your cheek. Give people whatever they ask of you. He just keeps adding, piling it on. Let's add more things that will show that you are holy, just as God is holy. Continue to add more requirements until you will reach the point of being perfect, as your Heavenly Father is perfect. Otherwise, you will in no way enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, do you understand this? Do you see this? This is the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is not a teaching that teaches us as Christians today how to be Christians. It is a teaching to unbelievers to show them that there is no way they can be like God. That's what it was for. And so if you want to learn something from it today, then learn that first. Learn that first and understand that this was the purpose. This was the intent. Understand that this is what he intended to say. And do not use the words of Jesus for a purpose that he never intended. If he wants to speak to you personally and share something with you through what he has said, I can understand that. I can appreciate that. 
But if you want to use the words of Jesus for a purpose that he never intended, then that is evil, in my opinion. That is evil. His purpose was to drive an individual to the point of absolute despair, not joy, not happiness, not blessings, but to lead them to the point of absolute despair because they cannot be as perfect as God. And what's wrong with that? There's nothing wrong with that. We need to recognize that we cannot be as perfect as God. We need to believe that we cannot be perfect. That is something that people need to come to terms with. They need to understand that so that they can realize that they have no hope outside of His grace and mercy. And when we do, when we see that, then we will be ready for the free gift of eternal life that He was able to present to humanity, offer to humanity, after He finally completed His ministry, He died and He rose from the dead, and He now lives forever. And since He lives forever, if we will believe His gospel and trust in what He has accomplished for us, we also will live forever with Him in His kingdom, in the kingdom of heaven. Not because we do our best to be like a Pharisee, and then we look to His forgiveness to make up the difference for when we fall short. That's not how we exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. We will never exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees to the point of being perfect as God is perfect. We will never achieve that. Our only hope is the mercy of God. There is no other. So in the next program, I'm going to talk about these verses. I'm going to talk about the verse that speaks of adultery. I'm going to talk about the verse that speaks about oaths. I will tell you about these verses from a different translation, one that I believe is correct as I examine the language that this was written in. When I look at what Matthew originally wrote, I believe that he said something very different that, in my opinion, was not a potential contradiction with the Mosaic Law, which is what I'm concerned about. But I will explain this in the next broadcast. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net that can make-